Episode 92 of No Guitar Is Safe, featuring Billy Duffy from The Cult, is brought to you by Guitar Player Magazine, guitarplayer.com, and the 30th anniversary re-release of Sonic Temple, that great cult album, which will be available for purchase in August of this year. It's funny the things you remember about a certain day. Tell me if you had a day like this one. You know, you're a teenager, you've had your driver's license for a year or two, and your friend is like, let's hang out. It's a beautiful, wide open, summer, sunny day, and you got nothing to do, and you're like, where should we go? Well, in this case, my homie was Ari Gorman. We're still great friends to this day. He's a monster bass player, and we had a band, and anyhow, cool factor that day was that he had his dad's shiny black BMW. Nothing too fancy, just a 3 Series, but it was a cool car and it had a stereo in it and it had a stick shift, which I'm not sure if Ari liked because he always let me drive it, which was cool. So he's like, yeah, man, why don't you drive? And we're like, where should we go? Let's go to Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk, if you're not from the West Coast. It's like Coney Island West, a little prettier, a little more chill. Does have a killer ass roller coaster. I love roller coasters. It's an old wooden machine called the Giant Dipper. Got some great drops and thrashes you around and it's really loud. But you know what? I know I rode that roller coaster that day, but I don't remember it. The thing I remember from that day is the Cult's Sonic Temple album. Yeah, before we hit the road that day, we're like, we need some tunes. There's no Spotify. Back then, you grab an album and you listen to it. You put it in your car and that thing plays and you listen to every song over and over and you get deep on that one record. I remember going into Tower Records or something that morning. Didn't know what I wanted to buy, but I had seen this album cover over and over, Sonic Temple, this image of this dude holding a Les Paul with this fiery red background. And I was like, you know what? I have a feeling that album sounds really good. And I was not disappointed. My name is Jude Gold. Thank you so much for listening to episode 92 of No Guitar Is Safe. And that album, Sonic Temple, is now 30 years old. And to celebrate, we have the great guitarist from The Cult, Billy Duffy, on the show. So much killer guitar on that record. I also fell in love with the vocals. I mean, Ian Asprey's voice is just so clear and powerful. And even though there was still like love metal happening and kind of cheesy glam metal happening there was nothing cheesy about this hard rock record none of ian's lyrics were cheese ball always something mystical and mysterious and powerful about his songs Billy's guitar textures, man, just makes you want to turn up your stereo. 
That album is being re-released this August. You're hearing just MP3s that I have on my hard drive, little samples. But come August, I will be one of the first people to buy this record. It's going to be completely remastered. There's going to be a bunch of bonus tracks and who knows what else. Billy will give you some hints in this interview that you're about to hear. And what a fun night it was, you know. This interview came about because I was contacted by Mitch Snyder. He runs MSO, the Mitch Snyder Organization, one of the best music publicity organizations you can uh, you could ever hope to work with. Great publicist, Mitch, and he, has, he actually sent me on a really cool assignment once. Somehow he arranged a first-class ticket for me from California to Boston to go hang out at Joe Perry's house for a day and interview him for a guitar player magazine cover story, which was a thrill because, you know... Who doesn't love Joe Perry and Aerosmith? But I also love this assignment just as much. And it was just over the hill in Hollywood at SAR Rehearsal Studios where a lot of bands rehearse. Mitch is like, come on down to the Cults rehearsal. Bring a couple microphones. You can interview Billy afterwards. I showed up at the time, which was like 9 o'clock or something. I guess it was 8 o'clock. But to my good fortune, they were running late. And they were like, you know what? You can come in. No cameras, but you can watch what we're doing. And I got to watch basically a personal performance of Sonic Temple because they're going over the tunes for the tour that they are now on. You got to see this show if you can. And it was killer just to sit on that couch with Mitch and watch. Sometimes in between songs, Ian would come over and chat with us. It was surreal to me, you know, just such a fanboy. So anyway, after they were done, I got to hop up on the stage with some mics and hang out with Billy and his fat guitar rig featuring a couple of Friedman heads and Fox AC30s and a bunch of cool pedals. And also, his guitar tech, Matt McKenna, is involved a little bit here and there in this podcast. You might notice a little bit of background noise at the beginning of this interview because people are still milling around, grabbing their jackets and stuff. But after a little while, man, they were so nice. They just gave us the whole room to me and Billy and Matt, the guitar tech, and uh, Mitch Snyder. I did not bring a guitar because I knew I wouldn't be able to just set up on that stage right after the rehearsal and jam with Billy. But Billy plays a lot of guitar for you and shows you his rig and he gets some great tones and shows you how he does what he does. Busts out that white falcon, or at least a very beautiful replica of his original. And you know what was a real thrill for me was at the end, he insisted I play his White Falcon. We stood up and he strapped it on. It was one of those deals too. I don't know about you, but I'm not a low strap guy, man. I'm taller than Billy, yet his strap has that guitar hanging down like by my knees. I don't even know how he plays it like that. But that's because I just don't rock as hard as Billy Duffy. Really classy guy. And uh, even though this was an absolutely no cameras interview, I got a great selfie with him at the end where I'm holding that guitar, I'll put it on the Facebook page and on Twitter and on Instagram. Just look for me, Jude Gold, in those locales. Thank you all so much for supporting the podcast. I had a, another tour with Jefferson Starship the last couple of weeks, so I got a little behind, but that's how it goes. But now I have my weekdays again, so I will be putting them out at a more regular interval for you guys. By the way, listener Dylan S. had a question about an earlier cult single you probably know called Love Removal Machine. And I will address it. I looked into it. Stick around for an epilogue at the end of this show. Time to fire up the guitar chopper and head over to the Cult's rehearsal pad in L.A. 
That's really a, clear tone, man. Yeah. Is that your your core tone, the Friedman's, basically? Yeah, yeah. It's a Friedman and a bit of Vox AC30, yeah. Beautiful mix, yeah. So you got one spare Vox up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one on the top is mic'd up and active. Yeah, and then there's, there's a Friedman coming out of two. I, I always like them out of two cabinets more. Oh, so it's one Friedman, two cabinets? Yeah. I've always liked them like that. I just kind of yeah. get the stereo in my ears sort of thing. I like them split like that, you know? Yeah. And you've got, sometimes I heard like a chorus sound. Is that mono? Or? Yeah, well, there's, um, I've got a chorus pedal. Sometimes the guy up front does effects. The, yeah. the short story is that I used to, um, I used to use an, uh, a JC120 a lot. And due to the sort of necessities of uh, international travel and um, flying around and practicalities, it used to present, it basically used three amps, and um, it was it was a thing where it was just boosting too much, you know, too much sound. So, um, you know, it yeah. was it was a little confusing, and also I used, I, I kind of like got into using boost pedals, and because yeah. that's a solid state amp, it right. used to boost way higher than uh-huh. the other two amps, and it used to create a little problems. It was a pretty good sound, but in the end, we yeah. sort of simulated it. Yeah. You know, Wouldn't you bit. use that for like sanctuary or? Yeah, yeah. For those yeah. kind of sounds? Like how do you get that sound now? Well, well, it's kind of. Um, and can you show us? <laughs> um, well, sanctuary is a great job. You know, right. so I've got to um, I've got to wander across and get hold of a, a white falcon. And uh, that illustrates it pretty well. Because it is a good yeah. point. I mean, that was recorded. JC120 was kind of my go to for quite yeah. a while. Um, and then, um, so it's been a bit of a battle getting around not having one, you know. Yeah. Um, so, but I'll, I'll I'll waddle over and get a falcon. Oh, <laughs> oh I appreciate that. This is a beautiful town. So, yeah, so, you know, I don't really sort of miss this. So there's a little bit of chorus going to the the um, AC30, just a little bit. You don't want to over-chorus it, and it just adds a little sparkling. You know, you can put a little delay in it there sometimes, you know. So that was kind of the sound. It, it, there was an artificial quality yeah. to a JC120, which was its charm. But, you know, I, it, just for expediency's sake, I think I can get around it, you know, yeah. now. Um, so, and when when we started, when it was just me and Jamie and Ian and a, and a drummer, it was, you know, Nigel or Ray Taylor Smith, our first ever drummer years ago. It, my thing was just to make as much sort of noise as possible with a with a um, with a guitar. Yeah. And I didn't want to use a Les Paul and a Marshall because I was kind of like at, at that period, early eighties, I was looking for something a little yeah. different spatially. So, you know, I would do like um, I would try and end up with kind of like well, Sanctuary is the most obvious song, you know, which which just has a couple yeah. of delays. And it's kind of picked, so you've got this kind of... Uh... 
Sounds spectacular. So that's, you know. Can we hear the uh, main part of that? We, we, uh, like the, when the drums are in? Oh, after <laughs> the after the hit? Yeah. So, well, yeah, so that's your clean bit. And then, you know, the actual, yeah. you just add a bit of overdrive and you end up with kind of... I feel like we should we should give you the key of D. Like you have so many great songs in D. Like of course Love Removal Machine is another great D song. Oh yeah, yeah. I, pr- I I was very proud that I think we had nine top forty singles in England, and mostly with McKee. By the time I'd got to do, you know, two things. One, for the record, the Electric album was all Les Paul. Was not a Gretsch anywhere near it. It was actually all recorded in New York with rented equipment, because yeah. we were never. The intention was we're really only going to recut one song. Yeah. with Rick Rubin so we didn't bring any gear over you know yep. one song we'll just not you know rent a bunch of stuff and um, we ended up doing the whole album again which you know the story's yeah. bit out there to cut a long story short I went on tour with Electric and although I played the album on a Les Paul a couple of different Les Pauls and a Marshall that was literally all I used we went on tour and I was still using the Gretches a lot and I was beginning to struggle with the bulk of the Gretsch to do the rockier stuff Right. so I just started using the Les Paul a bit more. Now, when you're rocking out on that guitar, what do you have stuffed in those F-holes? <laughs> um, blocked off. It used to be all sorts of things. It used to be t- T-shirts, bits <laughs> of, like, beer towels. I think... Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah, anything anything, um, anything that, that would deaden the sound. But it's... Um, now yeah. Nowadays, it's uh, just acoustic foam, that grey stuff. Yeah. And it's just uh, lovingly placed in there to deaden right. it out a little bit so it weighs a fair bit this actually this guitar i'm playing today is actually a Stephen stern replica of the one which is actually a much better guitar than yeah. the original gretsch that's an a plus replica i mean yeah he's 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 on another level i was lucky enough to i've got a couple of these replicas because i've kind of retired the main guitar yeah. It's now, you know, in a museum, so to speak. So just the guitar in itself isn't really that valuable. It's just what yeah. what its history did. It Where was did a, you pick up that guitar? In London, in, and it was ordered from America. Uh, there was a guitar yeah. stop in London. Yeah. After punk, in the end of the 70s, all the guitar players that I was kind of with, we were looking for different guitars to play to try and get different yeah. sounds because, you know, you can't really outdo Steve Jones or, you know, Mick Jones from The Clash with a Les Paul, yep. you know, or, you know, the heroes in the punk bands at that time. Right. So we just ended up, I just kind of got into the Gretsch look. And right. there was a bit of an influence where the Stray Cats came over about that time and they were like very fabulous when they first came to London. Yeah. I mean, it was quite a mind-bogglingly good 
banned. And so there was like a, a movement towards that. And it, it, just a few things lined up and I was like... I wouldn't even think of an overlap between those two bands. But yeah, now, now that you mention it, but there's, the genres are so different. Yeah, well, that was the thing. Well, in London, you know, there was ridiculous... As, as funny as it may seem, there was a lot of aggravation. We still had Teddy yeah. Boys in England, which were like yeah. rockabilly guys who were like gangs and stuff. And so there was all this yeah. supposed animosity between punks and Teddy Boys, even though we're talking like 1970-odd, yeah. we still had... It was, a, it was a bizarre time, but we ended up with this kind of hybrid music called Psychabilly. And, you know, they, they, that was kind of the, the look. People were stopping with the yeah. punk thing. and It just evolved. And yeah. I guess, in my case, I was just looking for something, a guitar that was interesting that also had a, a, a yeah. different sound. Well, I love that you mentioned the look because... You know, especially in L.A. or anywhere, a lot of guitar players look is important or image, but most people don't talk about it. But one time I actually, mm. we met before once in, right. front, of, in front of the Roxy. Yeah. And I, I was doing this reality pilot thing where I was a guitar coach and I was helping this guy learn guitar. Right. And we asked you for advice. Oh, dear. <laughs> and, you know, we had many advice from all kinds. But your advice was like, get a killer guitar that has a look. Yeah. I, I mean, I, yeah, the advice would be, you know, I've been pretty consistent with that. I think, you know, have a, get a really cool guitar. That makes you feel proud and, you know. You can identify with. Yeah, you know, and, and also really just try and find your own sound. Yeah, I mean, you, you know? image has been something you guys have certainly not been slack on, like you, since you first started playing. And Yeah, I think it's a, I think it was a British thing, you know. I mean, it was... From my experience, you know, in, in Britain growing up, I think what f my background was certainly very kind of blue collar, working class kind of background. And, you know, we weren't drowning in a sea of wealth. So we, we, I never really had to worry what car I was going to buy or it was like small things would make you stand out. You know, you could always get cool clothes or things that were uh, accessible. I would imagine in, in the modern era, it was like cool trainers or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was yeah. like your aspirations and it was how you, it was an outward expression of, you know, who, who how you saw yourself. So yeah. that was a very big part of, you know, certainly youth culture in England in the in the oh. 70s because it was generally quite grim, you yeah. know, around the 70s weren't that brilliant in England for most of the people, you know. Well, now if you were to play the little bit of American horse, would that be the guitar to play on it or I mean, or maybe are you well uh, by the well by the time we got to w w basically by the time we got to Sonic Temple and worked with Bob Rock the idea was yeah. to mix elements of the love album which was a little yeah. psychedelic and a little yeah. you know had had a, the mystical element with the kind of hardest simplistic thing of electric so there was a bit there's a lot of Les Paul on that album but there's quite a lot of Gretsch too yeah well you guys you know, really crushed that ambition of mixing those two it's got all the I tried to. I mean, I obviously, and, and you know, the, the, the main band was, you know, obviously was ACDC did it in a great way. You know, with, with, when, when Malcolm had the rhythm on the Gretsch and Angus had the, um, the Gibsons, you know. Yeah, that's good that was That was pretty exciting. I mean, so I saw you, that at the same time as I saw punk bands. You know, my whole background wasn't just punk. It just happened to be punk rock was when I left high school. So I was like 16 in 1977, yeah. which was the summer of punk in England. It was circumstantial, but I, I really liked it. But I also was into like straight up, you know, rock bands like Free and Bad Company and um, yeah. Thin Lizzy and, you know, stuff like that. So in, in that regard that you were just talking about, you were kind of like 
Angus and Malcolm in one player when you're that's doing, the plan. doing overdubs that's on the plan. Sonic Temple. Is there mm-hmm. one song that's like is there one song that kind of gives an example of where you maybe have the Les Paul on the lead and the um, Malcolm, so I mean, to speak, it, on the Gretsch. It, it's not. Re- I, I can't really recall what yeah. I did. I mean, there was so many, so many layers. Yeah, there, there isn't really one. Probably on Firewoman. I think Firewoman. Yeah. There was a bit of both. about 400 guitar parts you know but yeah. I mean yeah. for the most part I mean there was Gretsch on there but it was mostly supporting parts on Sonic yeah. Temple I mean most most the, the album's pretty ram-packed with yeah. stuff Electric is like a stage with no mist, and then Sonic Temple's like fog and the yeah, lights, like yeah, the same yeah, energy. Yeah, he was just trying to change it up a little bit, yeah. you know. I just always had, I wanted to make like a fully, fully yeah. explored kind of rock album, yeah, unashamed. Because, you know, like I've been talking about, I came out when punk rock was happening, so, um, you know, I'd, I'd also had an equal amount of, you know, seeing Queen. I'd seen, I'll tell you the bands I saw, yeah. that I can remember that I saw. I was seeing Thin Lizzy Slade, The Who, Queen, um, ACDC, early, like 77. Um, don't think of all the bands that, I mean, I, I would go and see anybody, Uriah Heep. Mink Deville, uh, Doctor Feel Good. Never saw Bowie. Oh, you're a Mick Ronson fan. Huh? I was. I went to see Ian Hunter's Overnight Angels, which had Mick oh. Ronson in it, and it, I remember it because it was a very badly attended gig, and I was heartbroken because I couldn't understand why loads of people didn't show up. I played in his town in England, which where they have the monument Hull. to him. Yeah, uh, Hull. Yeah, Hull. Hull. <laughs> oh, Rono was great. Yeah, Rono. Yeah. Rono was a big influence. Yeah, um, I had tickets to see him when he was in Mott the Hoople, and then they cancelled the tour, which broke my little heart. Oh man! Yeah, it was tragic that. Um, well, you really went from like the punk and and that stuff, and added an element of Beethoven or something like it with Sonic Temple. Like it's so huge, so many layers. It was but kind it, of the time, you know. What I mean, it yeah, was, but it, it, that was the era of you know. Not easy to pull off though. Uh, and no, you guys crushed no. it. <laughs> well, you got to have good songs, you know. Yeah. We, we, I thought we wrote a fairly good selection of songs, so so yeah. they would they they managed to hold the weight of that. Um, but the, the the idea, you know, I mean, I kind of got into the a lot of my stuff was the drone thing, you know. So. You know, Love and it. then, you know, so that's one thing. And then, you yeah. know, um, I, I kind of just like the way the discipline of moving up and down yeah. down the string. It's kind of my thing, that's you know. It's a beautiful thing. Well, yeah. it's, it, 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 it requires, yeah. it demands different things of you that, you know, people will be like, well, why don't you just play yeah. all those notes in one place, you know, so. Hey, man. Do you put a little delay on that one or something? Or how yeah, do you... I mean, not. I mean, I don't really. Yeah. To be honest with you, yeah. I don't have as yeah. much delay live now as I yeah. used to because a lot of it gets done out front. 
which is great. So I just have enough on stage to give me a little bit of um, excitement value, so it's not completely yeah. dry. How come you let somebody 200 feet away do that? Because I don't know what it sounds like 200 feet away. You know, the sound guy has control over it. Because if I'm trying to do it with a, you know, $70 pedal, you know, I um, I think it's, it's better. It's just, it's more, it's more expedient that way. Yeah. Might know. be in stereo. It's kind of like over the years of, of evolving and still keeping the band on the road and not being as full-on touring as we used to, you know. I, I used to have a Bradshaw rat with all the toys and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it sounded pretty good, to be honest, but it's not feasible working the way that we do in the last 10 years. Well, you don't even have any switcher right now other than to switch your amps, but you're going straight through daisy-chaining all your pedals, which is cool. Yeah, I, I mean, if, so, yeah. at some point in the 2000s, I had one of those yeah. switchers, but, but I found that the practicalities of getting to and from certain places, for me, I mean, it's, it's essentially a rock and roll band. You know, yeah. if you can't get it done with this... I should mention they're mm. brilliantly wired by oh, Matt yeah. McKenna. Oh, yeah. Very <laughs> cleanly done. Yeah, I'm sold. Yeah, man. Hire him for some That's work neat. myself. That is a neat pedal board. So what did Sonic Temple mean? Once it started hitting and your, you know, your gigs are elevating, what did it mean for you guys? Like just how to transform your um, life, but also like yeah, it, well, your vision for your music. and There was a lot of hope and expectation that the band was going to take off in a really, really big way. And um, I think that Sonic Temple was just something. I, I just was determined that we should have a platinum record. That yeah. was my big thing. It was a bit like, I really want to have a platinum record. But having said that, we used a producer who was virtually unknown. You know, Bob Rock hadn't produced. Point, he'd, he'd only done Kingdom Come. Interesting. Which, you know, was, a yeah. you know, at the time, I mean, there were some great sounds on that record. You know, it was, you know, very questionable in terms of a lot of other things about it, but, but he'd, he'd done a great job and he, he seemed like a great yeah. guy. So much ear candy on that record, I love it. Yeah, but I mean, Bob's very musical and we met him and got along with him and, you know, and being Canadian, he had quite a, somewhat of an ear for an English oh, really? music. Um, I gotcha. Yeah, you know, and he spent a lot of time in England and going over there and he liked a lot of English rock bands. There's a lot of cool swells and that sort of ear candy or like on yeah. American Horrors. Yeah, yeah. It's like... Dun -dun, -dun -dun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we went all in. It was like 48 had... track. It's it's all yeah. in. We all had, you know... It was, yeah. a, it was kind of just the time when I just yeah. felt lib liberated and just was like wanted to go for it. You know, it, in, a, in its own way, Ian was much more in terms of psychedelic. Yeah, to yeah. him, it was psychedelic. Yeah. Um, you know, and I and I think there's some truth in that. You know, from yeah. to Ian, 
we were doing Disraeli gears, you know. To me, I don't know, we were doing like some hybrid of, if you know, Bad Company, <laughs> Queen and Mott the Hoople made an album at the same time with a bit of punk rock in there. I love that you guys you know. could have totally different views of the same thing. Think, well, it's, yeah, it's yeah. Awesome. I mean, that's kind of, you know, we just, we just yeah. somehow find a commonality. So you've said that you had to grow into an arena band, so to speak. And yeah. I mean... That's actually a good question. How how does suddenly a band is a next level of success? They're playing rooms that are five times as big or ten times. And what, how did you do, grow into being an arena band? Well, it, it, the first thing is we had to kind of get out of the UK because that's notorious for kind of a build them up, knock them down attitude, you know, especially from the media and that. And, and you know, we just, um, you just have to be a little bit larger in life on your, um, on what you're doing in terms of performance and oversize. Um, it's, I'm trying to think now. Yeah, what are some it, specific things? Like, I mean, like you could start with, I mean, new lights or were you moving around the stage? Well, that took, it took a bit of getting used to. Yeah. The stage sizes, we'd, we'd got a first taste of it when we played with, um, Billy Idol. We did a fairly big tour, an arena tour with Billy Idol. And, and the, even though we were the, the special guests, we had a reasonable amount of stage room and that kind of expanded us out. Yeah. And we just did a lot of shows and just learned the art of moving around the stage a bit. It, you know, in, there was a, yeah. to me, there was a thing in England where, like, the bands didn't want to be seen as being too flashy or showy, yeah. other than, like, metal bands who these rules don't really apply to them. Like, you know, they... Yeah. Like, metal's, like, to me, a different thing altogether. But aside from that, broadly speaking, I, I you know, there was this thing of mentality of, like, don't get too big for your boots and don't get too flashy. Yeah. And um, we just, you know, we tried. It was really just having fun and, you know, looking around what was happening and, and rock was just back in a big way, you know. Did things get crazy on that Billy Idol tour or something? What did I, what did I read? Or? <laughs> oh, there was a lot of naughty stuff. We, we, we were definitely all partying and, you know, doing some crazy... I mean, they say... It's a very, you know, yeah. piratical. It's like pirates, you know, <laughs> that whole thing. Piratical. Yeah. I like that. I mean, they say handling success is as tricky as handling failure. What advice do you have for people who suddenly are super successful? Um, yeah, yeah, that was a weird one. Well, you never really... One thing is you never really know when you're at your peak. Interesting. Only in retrospect do you realize that that was the peak. You always think your next yeah. album's going to be bigger than... You know what I mean? It never yeah. really dawned on me, you know, until a certain point where it was like, oh, well, that album didn't sell us. You know, for, for us, we, 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 one of the things with the cult was it was kind of a slow growth. We came yeah. out of a kind of post-punk gothic kind of yeah. scene and, you know, evolved more and more into a rock band, which kind of suits mine and Ian's yeah. background and kind of what we're good at. And we just didn't censor ourselves and weren't intimidated by yeah. you know whatever the media the press some of the fans we were just like we just sort of went for it and just followed our instincts you know occasionally we got things wrong yeah. but we got a few things right so yeah that that was the the, the you never really get a you don't get like a, a pamphlet or a brochure or a thing that explains how it's gonna go right. you know you just have to kind of hold on for the ride what about with your sound suddenly you're playing arenas as a guitar player is there did you learn well, there was one thing. I'll tell you one little funny anecdote. Some pretty good friends with Steve Stevens. So when we were playing with Billy Idol, I, have, I remember I was, I, we were playing. I was like, why does his guitar sound so huge? And then, I, then I'd watch him finish. And when he'd finish a song, there'd be like this little delay, very short little at the end of every time he stopped. I'm like, what's going on there? And I realized he had kind of a little... 
cheat the uh, delay on, you know? Okay. And so, so I was like, oh, that's, that's like a quarter note. Like a little slap back? Yeah, a little, well, not like, a, like, 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 not like a rockabilly slap back. Not, not like right. that at all. Because that, to me, that makes everything sound small. Don't, I right. hate that. But it was like a little kind of, I mean, I'm not the, you know, the most, and I've never really yeah. gone to the technical side of it, but each, <laughs> and, and I was like, ah. Well, you know, the, the detune thing kind of has a the really thick chorus, kind of has like a, like, I wonder if I, anyway. Things like that make it just yeah. sound better. Now, if you yeah. just do that without any delay, yeah. you kind of get... Uh it's similar, yeah. but not as fat. True. And that's what those little sneaky delays do. They just trick yeah. the ear to giving it some size. So I learned that, I learned that off from watching Steve you know I was I was very naive I, you know we, we were in in essence you know we were a club band like I mean most bands don't start in huge places but we were right. playing little you know little places so it, you know within three years we'd gone from that to doing you yeah. know arenas and, and the forum and this and that and, and Wembley <laughs> in England it was a bit of a you know it was a, it was a, it was a steep learning curve you know stage now or all the extra real estate i mean even just the sound of suddenly the drums are further apart yeah it was it was that was pretty funny everything was pretty spread out i used to at the end by the time we finished by the time we finished i, I just learned watched what other bands did started realizing they had monitors everywhere and you know I, I ended up at what the, the most complex rig I had was when we did the ceremony tour which was the one after Sonic Temple which was actually probably a bigger tour in terms of venues but the album didn't do as well but the tour, because of the momentum we'd created with the, the three previous albums, I got to the point where I had like two 4x12s in the pit, <laughs> like actual 4x12s running off a power amp. In the pit? In the pit of the... Like, so in the... Like in front of the barricade? Y yeah. Facing you? Yeah. Dang. Face, facing up so that I could get proper... I had little um, wedge, little wooden things, and they would sit on top of flight cases. 
so I'd be getting real authentic. It was like, it got ridiculous. You had guitar speakers everywhere. Yeah, basically. Which probably sounds better than monitors everywhere. Well, yeah, always, always. But you, you're not really into in-ear monitors? or Because you, you got like, do you typically have four monitors? Yeah, just for spread. I've tried yeah. using in-ears, and, and, and in the end, what happened was I started pulling one out, so I was really deafening myself in one ear. Yeah. And all that taping it up your back of your neck yeah. and everything, it was just not. It's funny, if you do a, one of those gigs, you feel really weird if you have, like, your ear got thrashed from a set on one side of your face. You need to thrash both at once, and then you feel normal. Yeah. Either I, none I, of them or both, both of them. Both of them, yeah. I, did, I, I didn't like it. Plus, I yeah. don't really sing. Um, yeah. So, so you know, I've, I haven't found it necessary to sing, so backups or anything because there's always yeah. guys that can do it just as well or better so it frees me up and a lot of the yeah. cult songs are sort of you know constructed in terms of like melodic lines going yeah. along with the lead vocal yeah. so those you know it's it's quite difficult yeah. to to you know do that well as far as yeah. reaching the big crowd or people you know way in the back of an arena you, your parts are naturally good for that like if maybe you could show us the the lead on American Horse, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, oh, well, there's a, the, yeah, there's a... It's so singable. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, it's this thing where it's like dancing up and down the string. It's, yeah. I, I don't know, you know, some sort of like Celtic, I don't know, Eastern. Yeah. Uh, many people have told me what it is in terms of the, the technicalities of it. Like what, what scale it's, and you're doing this. It's the Billadufian scale. Yeah, it's, it's the, the, the part Irish... <laughs> The, the part Irish, part Jewish scale, whatever it, whatever it is. So yeah, it's just a nice, just a little breakdown, you know. Is it? And then he goes. That's mostly yeah. it. You That's like that section. Oh, you just have way too much fun with those songs, man. It's, it's very enjoyable to play. Well, Bob Rock's a guitar player, so we got on great. That's why I've made so many records. I always want to, because we have a lot of fun doing the guitars, me and Bob. On Sonic Temple, was there any moment where he really did something with guitar recording that surprised you? Like, like uh, wow, I never well, knew you could I, do I, that. I, well, as a, as a confession, what he did a couple of things, two stories. One was that I never managed to get the lead guitar solo in the song Sweet Soul Sister right. After I'd spent a whole day on it, because that was the time when, 
we were somewhat indulgent with ourselves financially. I just couldn't get a solo that was as good as the one that was on the rough. And Bob's was super meticulous. Nothing ever got wiped. That got lost. And we all knew that the solo was great, but we, it turned out that somebody had it on a cassette. There was a rough cassette made of the song with the guide lead guitar track that was given to Ian so he could work on his vocals. So on the album, the actual guitar solo in the middle of Sweet Soul Sister yeah. is actually a track of a cassette with the rest of the band, just a basic backing track, yeah. which kind of amazed me how he did. He pulled that one he off. He pulled a guitar off of a rough mix on a cassette. He put the whole thing and mixed and just <laughs> mixed it up. Mixed in there, so you really, you're really only hearing the guitar, which is on top of the mix. The yeah, other. but yeah, that, that was it. Yeah, yeah that's like that's, that's one little confession that he that, that was pretty impressive. There was a lot of chopping too. I mean, I, I wasn't really, you know, coming from the style of playing with the Gretsch and that kind of more melodic um, expanse. I wasn't really, you know, I, I didn't really see myself as a very fast or technically gifted lead guitar player, but it was required of me because of the way the band was heading to do more and more lead. So I kind of needed to be fast tracked that my lead guitar playing caught up with the sort of ability of the songs and the sound we were going for. So there was a few of the, a few of the solos, you know, cut together, which yeah. is, you know, no major secret to a lot of guitar players. So I'd do several solos and me and Bob would piece together the best bits. And then it'd be at the end of the album, I'd go, now, how am I going to play that? There's a lot you of You have layers. to learn your own stuff, yeah. I mean, he would, yeah. you know, and that's with him. There was a lot of Bob with the, the you know, the um, razor blade and proper old I school am. editing. I remember that. Uh, yeah. Now, like a song like Soul Asylum, there's some beautiful guitar overdub. Oh, right, like a yeah, Stratocaster yeah. Stratocaster or something? Uh, yeah, Gretsch. it was a Strat. Okay. Well. It was a Strat. Um, yeah. I've only ever played one once live in 94 yeah. when we went through our kind of reinvent ourselves and be weird phase and um, I, I've never used a strap I've never really got along with them who would crush this woman We're actually doing it today because the way we're doing it, I haven't got 10 guitar players. We do yeah. we play the part on the keys. It's just a, a, an overdub, yeah, yeah. you know. But um, yeah, I like that song. That's fun to play. Well, it was a real treat for me to suddenly be like watching most of that album get rehearsed before we're doing this. And thank you so much for sitting here after a long day. <laughs> it's, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's exciting to be back. I like, you know, we just day one. So, yeah. You What's know. the feeling? What's the vibe after your first rehearsal? I think it's good. I think we're all, um, day one, it's, it's a lot of it is technical stuff. 
you know, that has to be done by, you know, get, yeah. setting the, the, the place for us to play. It's interesting for us to see because it's good to just play and don't overthink it. Then you really know what you know and what you don't know. Right. You know, just go for it. And, and we, that's what you heard us doing there. So, that, yeah. I mean, that song, Saints Are Down, I haven't yeah. played that in 10 years probably. Yeah, that's beautiful. We just kind of knew we were going to give it a go. So we all listened to it. And um, it's just nice to try and see. And then you understand the bits you know and the bits you don't know. You so know? maybe we could hear a little automatic blues or something. Talk about, uh, Every song oh. on Sonic Temple, man, I I bought the, I first got that on cassette back oh, when yeah. cars had car <laughs> cassette players. Yeah, yeah. Every yeah, song yeah. is great. It's one of the few albums I have that every song is. Killer. Well, thank you. We, you know, we we yeah. we we tried hard with the, with the material yeah. um, to come up with good good solid songs, and and Bob helped us, encouraged us with that. You know, because he'd been working as Bruce right. Fairburn's assistant and um, uh, as an engineer, so I think yeah. he'd, he'd observed, you know, song orientated stuff that was really yeah. you know so there, a little bit of craft came into what we were doing you know a little bit of, it was a, a little bit of song craft you know um hope you know not yeah. i don't think there was too much of it you know i, I like yeah. want the band to be a little bit raw still you know so i mean automatic blues i i you know i um it's just a bit of a it, it's just kind of a funky riff you know you just kind of got to roll with it it's a <laughs> And then, yeah, it's like, and then, you know, and then my favorite's this B spread. Fantastic, yeah. You know, there was a little bit, We and then we didn't have a chorus, and then we were kind of, the chorus, we were just playing around, just having fun. You know, it was, I was like 29, just well, kind of. I was just telling Mitch that you still look like you're 29. You got to tell us. what's the, Oh, you flatterer. But this is, I don't mean to, I mean, I don't mean to flatter. I mean, actually, a serious question. What are you doing right in your life? You got to share with us. I, uh. Well, I, I, I just, um, I don't know, really, just, I just, um, I quit drinking. I Where? used to be quite fond of a drink. <laughs> um, you know, Last I was, week, I was a keen, couple of years ago? <laughs> a, a couple of decades ago. Okay. I would say that's okay. probably had, had a, a good long-term benefit, yeah, maybe. Reminds, reminds me of Phil Collin. Another yeah, guy yeah, well, he's, yeah, really yeah, I, I haven't quite gone as clean as Phil. <laughs> Yeah, he's great. He's like vegan and he does the whole thing. I'm not, I haven't quite got to that level of um, levitation, yeah. but yeah, I just, I just got sick of drinking and packed it in. And then I thought I'll just, I'll stop drinking for a bit. And then a bit turned into a longer bit. And it wasn't a major, cause I was, a, I mean, I wasn't, I, Ian remembers me when I dr drank and he was like, you yeah. weren't really that bad. Right. Like my behavior wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, um, you know, the, the fun, fun with problems and then just problems. It was, but it, I just yeah. got tired of it. So yeah. it, it, it sort of, it's being sober sort of snuck up on me. That's a good know. thing to but, say. But I think yeah. now, you know, I, I'm getting the benefits of it. Yeah, you know? well, it kind of leaves room for other healthy things, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it just, it's, you know, in the end of the day, you know, 
anything like that is is some something of a toxin and it's got to be it might make you feel good for a minute but it's got to be processed and go through your body so maybe you know it, it, it helps i'll take the compliment but thank you very yeah. much so, yeah i'm sincerely i do you, do you are you a gym rat or anything no I've, lately i've been working out more going getting yeah. getting in shape i never used to do anything uh, and then i started getting this is a funny one i started going to the gym i remember yeah. in in the, in the late 80s i started going to the gym and i think i had like a, a four and a half pack <laughs> for for a minute and that was about it that that, that was so i managed to achieve some kind of I pack. Have a 12 pack yeah exactly the 12 pack pack well, let me ask you and I don't, I don't even it's a world that most of us don't understand but it seems like sometimes when people finally live the dream and they have the success and I mean, what could be greater than playing arenas and platinum albums and being able to do it? People run from it sometimes or things or people stop talking in bands. Yeah. How does that happen when you're living the dream? How does that even? Um, oh, well, I think, yeah, I think there's a danger um, that, you know, money is one thing, you know, Money's, money's, money's a great thing. You know, I've been rich, I've been poor, rich is better type situation. But, uh, you know, I, we had a great, very, very sage manager for, for a hot minute called Howard Kaufman. He's dead now. And um, he was a lovely guy. And he, he, he once took me aside and was saying, um, he said, oh, you know, he said, now you've made some money. Because we never really had any serious money. Then we did. And he's like, yeah. so now what? You know, because right. now you've got kind of fu money, so you you don't you you tend to you have to get through that. It's a phase that you go through, I think, as a band. Yeah. I mean, if you're lucky enough to get the success, and with that, some of the cash and prizes, it becomes an issue because then people are like, "Well, I don't need this. I got money. I don't need. I don't need to put up with your nonsense." You right. know, and you know, you you have to your overriding love and passion for music has to win out over the other stuff there i mean there are people who were in bands almost by accident and they don't really love love the lifestyle i mean jamie stewart who was our bass player for like 12 years he was a very important part of you know he's not yeah. often talked about and, and and he was a very important part of the success of the band just for his like chemistry and his vibe and he he wrote some great parts and he played guitar for you sometimes too yeah right? he did so yeah he, he was originally a guitar player oh, okay so he started and, it, yeah. and he started and then he gave he actually gave me a couple of effects pedals once yeah. when he got the gig on bass he came he said well i won't be needing these do you want them and it's, i ended up using them um so but, he walked away around 1990 did yeah i was he, wondering did he really stay away yeah, well, he's he, he's got up and played a couple of times, but he no, he gave it up. He couldn't do the lifestyle. Interesting. He just was like he came to me once. He said, "No, it's been brilliant. I've really enjoyed it, but I just can't." He wanted just to stay at yeah. home and have a wife and kids, and you know, do his thing, and that's kind of what he did. Yeah. You know, I, we, he, he jumps up yeah. occasionally with us once in a blue moon. He's, he's played with us a couple of times in England. He's just the same. It's great. Yeah, I love it. It's a big. I get a big kick out seeing him over there. You know. Right. So jumping back to some guitar nerdery, yeah. Yeah. I see you have what looks like a blonde Les Paul, and it has some beautiful like acoustic tone that you're able to get out of it. <laughs> oh right, yeah, 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 yeah. I've for, got to, that. Well, that's something that's pretty darn new. It's pretty useful for the yeah, ED, yeah. ED intro, assuming. Yeah, you're, yeah, 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 yeah. 
Yeah, well, this is, uh, as you were here today in day one of me even. Yeah, because it's uh, a little tricky to play because it's got to go yeah. through the wedges. But, um, yeah, it's it's had a... Um, yeah, I don't mean to uh, create no, tasks. Well, we'll see. We can, <laughs> well, we'll either get it or we won't. Yeah. So, is that a new guitar made for you by Gibson? It is a guitar they made for me sometime around 2000, oh. and it's to my sort of spec. Yeah. You know, the wood front, black back, and it's just a two-piece front um, mm. because the ones that I had in, used at the time, they were just black ones that I had the finish taken off as a bit of a yeah. tribute to Mick Ronson. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, what happened was, um, I don't know how it came about, but like Gibson, I've, you know, I've had a great relationship with them, but that I, anybody who yeah. knows anything knows that they can be a little up and down as right. a company, you know, in terms of their organization. So at a moment when I was hot and heavy with Gibson, they gave me the, uh, they, yeah. they, they made one of these. So yeah, this is a... I guess there's a piezo pickup hiding in the bridge or something. Yeah. Sounds pretty good yeah. to me. Yeah, it really it's, does. It's, it's hiding in the bridge, but it really they, sounds Ma like a Matt McKenna takes all yeah. the credit. Yeah. All the credit. What's your biggest challenge with uh, when you're on stage with Billy or at a cult show? Is there any? What are you looking out for? Anything have here? Just. Well, you know. Here you got to be really detail-oriented, so I think it's just making sure that all the all the T's are dotted and the I's are crossed, you know, and, and to anticipate. Yeah. I, that, that, that's, for this job, that's the number one thing, is to be aware of the spectrum of the needs that an artist is going to have and be able to anticipate them, you know. Keep your eyes out for flying objects and stuff. Sure. Well, have you guys ever had a really yeah. great Spinal Tap moment on stage where something just comical, <laughs> either with Matt or earlier? <laughs> they, was there one? We've had a bad one once. We had one that was bad and I was really mad at you. Yeah, yeah. One time. Yeah. And like, I'm that was sorry it. I brought once. it. No, I don't remember yeah. why I was mad, but I was really mad. And yeah. I don't know what yeah. you did or what yeah. you didn't do, but generally speaking, you know, it, yeah, it it, it's been great. The, the story yeah. I always say, I remember going on tour in the early 90s, we were playing with Metallica in Europe, um, playing a, a big kind of sometimes soccer stadiums and this and that. Um, and uh, they took us out on the road. We've always been pretty friendly with them. And, you know, it's yeah. possibly not the most compatible bands, but they like us, we like them. And, they, you know, we needed the money at the time, yeah. to be quite honest. So <laughs> we went out on the road. and uh, But there was one gig somewhere where... Um, Megadeth were on the bill as well, you know, and like, you know, it's getting a little heavy, you know, like yeah. metally for, you know, the cult. But I remember standing watching Megadeth and I knew Dave, you know, we had the same manager. I think at that time, mm -hmm. that was it. We had the same management, um, a yeah. guy called Ron Lafitte. And uh, this is a great, the, the, I, it never happened to me, but so Metallica had this like triangular 
walkout ego ramp where their hardest core fans would be in the middle like, and yet yeah. James could be like 40 feet ahead but they let Mustaine use it so Mustaine walks out there gets ready to hit his big chord and start the song and the guy hadn't switched the pack on so the guitar didn't work <laughs> Plink. so but um. I was right there as Mustaine Dave walked back like fuming yeah. you know he's got that yeah. look in his eyes you know that was a funny one. Even I was shitting my pants. <laughs> and I wasn't even involved. Yeah, you're I was just like, oh, yeah, dig, you're a, dig a hole, dig a grave for that roadie. Those moments happen. I, but dude, this is like there's 40,000 people there and he's having to make that long walk back to get his guitar switched on to walk all the way back out again. I've been there, mate. not there, but it happens. I, I was playing at Rock in the Rivers, which is like 3,000 people and I was right. in, I doing a solo thing. Yeah, right. And I always have my cord in but yeah. well, I had the wire but the wireless gave out and I panicked and I plugged in the cable yep and then I fucking stepped on the cable oh like, yeah in the middle of a solo piece pulled it out so like in front of the whole crowd it's like, oh did the whole down thing and pick yeah, it up. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It, it, it happens yeah. you know you stick around long enough it's it's yeah. it, I actually think generally speaking people in an audience actually relate to things that go wrong more yeah. my biggest criticism of myself is two things when i'm not liking the sound i can't hide it i'm not professional yeah. enough to put on like the happy smiley face and then you know i get i understand it's been said a lot oh oh billy ain't enjoying the gig it's not that i'm not enjoying the gig or i'm not enjoying being in the court or i'm not enjoying playing the songs it's like I'm not enjoying the sound situation. And I just, it was one of my biggest challenges to not yeah. let that affect, because it spoils it for the fans. And ultimately, really, that's yeah. all, you know, these days, oh. that's really weird to just serve the songs for the fans. It's that, you know, the, the music, yeah. oh, I don't, you know, this stuff's theirs as much as it's ours anymore, you know? Right, right. You know, it's like the songs have been around, they've been a part of people's lives. And, you know, like Ian said, you know, the past is interwoven with the present, you know, so we're not, you know, we're, we're acknowledging it, but we're just not living in the past. You know, it's the thing about the cult, we're trying not to, you know, we, we're not, we don't dwell there. I don't yeah. have the same haircut I had 30 years ago. You know, I don't, we don't do the same things I did 30 years ago, but the songs, you know, when, when the time's right, we're happy to play them for the fans more than anything else, you know. So what's going to be different about the way you play these songs now, or what are you planning for this uh, tour to uh, deliver well, Sonic well, Temple well, on stage? Yeah, we haven't, well, today's day one of rehearsals. I think, you know, we, we've, we came to the conclusion, without giving too much away, we don't want to play all the songs on Sonic Temple. We're going to play about 85% of them. Yeah. Which, and in our opinion, they're the best ones. Um, which I think is plenty. And I don't think playing the others would add to the experience. It probably possibly would diminish it. Right. So there's just a couple that we've never played live. And we just didn't want to. They, they just, yeah. you know, they're, they're songs that we don't feel we want to do. The question really is just trying to, to look at Sonic Temple 30 years later with the lineup that we've got and work out what are the songs from our catalogue we want to play with it. So that's the game right now. You know, yeah. It's not a, you know, a, it's not going to be such a big surprise to learn we're going to play She Sell Sanctuary because, you know, yep. we always do.
think once we didn't, once in living memory we didn't play it, and that was the second night in Mexico City. You didn't make that mistake again. We've got no. You know why we did it? It was actually the second night because the first night didn't go down that well. It was a Guns yeah. Guns and Roses recently, like a few yeah. years ago. We played Mexico City, and I remember, I remember it specifically because it was yeah. the only time we were like, oh, Sanctuary didn't go down that well. Other songs in a set did, that one didn't, so we just yanked oh. it for once. It was quite a relief. It was oh, funny. That really stands out. So, yeah, that, but, but generally, you know, it's just um, trying to decide what, what we're going to, you know, what goes yeah. with it and what, what, where are we at now, not where we're at two years ago. Or All, all bands go yeah. through it, I'm sure. You know, you just, you gear up. So the 30th anniversary re-release is coming out in august yeah yeah. can you tell us what what's going to be the deal with the package i mean is it going to be remastered tracks is it Uh, anything you can tell us about it it's been remastered i mean they 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 did a lot of um it's gonna be remastered and there's a bunch of demos and some live tracks some live stuff very cool that was recorded for the bbc when we did there was a video for the song sweet soul sister that was shot in wembley black and white yeah. there was a lot of hair flicking in it <laughs> and um and that was funny Wembley we'd been on the road a long time we we're really on top of our game yeah as a live act and it was we captured it well on that video and there, there's there's some other footage knocking around from that we're going to put out and it's basically anything we can find that we feel yeah. is you know pretty much everything there's a couple of things Ian a couple of things on the demos that Ian just couldn't bad you know putting <laughs> out there but that you know we, yeah. we i think i really it's just just for the fans if they if they're interested and they want to you know get the full picture of everything that went around that album kind of vinyl edition or we've yeah. always done vinyl we, always, we, yeah. yeah ian again ian's been very passionate even in 94 when we did the call album yeah. every single album we've done we've always done a vinyl version yeah you know, because Ian loves it and he likes the whole thing. And, you know, it's, um, I, I, you know, they're popular. Man, he sounds great. He sounds just like, I'm so clear. 30 years later, his voice still has that clarity. I know he wasn't fully even yeah, throwing yeah, down. Day, he's kind yeah, of just warming it up. One. Yeah, it's just, one, just amazing, easing though. into it, but it's day one. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, he, yeah, he does have an incredible yeah. voice in, you know. So, yeah. you know, if he just takes care of it, he was kind of gifted yeah. with that, really. Um, and, you know, it, it's there. And I think he just... All of us, we just have to find ourselves in, because the album's yeah. the album, you know, cool. this isn't that, but you, you just, you know, you just kind of ease into it and find out, you know, let, it, let, the, let the songs do the work, which is always nice. Great. Well, I, I think you've been very generous with your time, but... I'd... Oh, hey, do you want to hear my yeah. new... Uh, check this out. I've got a new Gretsch. I want to play this new... Yeah, yeah. Because um, Gretsch, who... I've got yeah. a signature guitar over there, which I haven't played, because, yeah. you know, it's, it's a great... I've got this little new... Baby Gretsch. Yeah, it's beautiful. I was looking it at that. It's like a rock jet. But they're yeah. doing... So I'm going to... Uh, I'm kind of digging it. I like this guitar. It's um, it's not quite yet, uh, there yet. This is like... Um, but uh, but it's got yeah. it's got some good qualities, I think. It's kind of... cool guitar fantastic for a Gretsch you know it's got some uh, it's got a bit of balls to it so we're trying to we're trying to work and um, maybe come out with a with a signature model hey I'm feeling that yeah it's yeah it's 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 a pretty good 
Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've been talking to TV Jones about coming up with a pickup, just just yeah. kind of tweaking it a little bit. I'm going to change a few things. This is just a, basically a stock yeah. guitar that they brought out. And I was like, they sent me one. They said, what do you think? I said, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, those are TV Jones pickups. Yeah, the, yeah. these are, yeah, but they, he's going to do like yeah. a special one for my one. Yeah, yeah. So, but I use this for a few things, you know. Yeah, from 100 feet back, it looks like a Les Paul. Yeah, it's, it's got um, the cool knobs, though, the cool Gretsch knob. It's got a... It's great sound. Yeah, it's a... So you can get kind of uh, quite a good little, you know... So you can clean it up, and it's got that Gretsch resonance that, that has that chime. Oh yeah. But you know, if you just if you just beef it up, it's you know. So what is that red pedal you keep goosing your uh, the Friedmans with? You hear in this overdrive pedal? Oh, it's a clon. I was going to say it looks like a clon, but it's. I, maybe I haven't seen the red ones. Do you do that yourself? No, it's I. Oh, Klon KPR. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. I got a couple of those. I was, of course, Bob Rock had has the set, the, the fifteen hundred dollar, yeah. whatever it is, two million dollar one now. Yeah, they're like, my buddy has one, and he's like throws it down. And he want to try it. I'm like, you know, that's worth like eighteen hundred dollars. He's like, no way. And he yeah, he Google these things. And, Absolutely. Well, yeah, they are. So yeah. I wouldn't. I don't. Yeah. Anyway, so I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. I, I like that. And then there's this other. I use this other overdrive. I mean, I, you know, the amps yeah. are ballsy as they are. So that's good. And then you can boost it a little bit with a. Is well, that one of your love pedals? What is that? It's just a it's um, boost pedal. Whirl, just clean whirlwind, boost. Clean, clean boost. boost. Yeah, yeah. yeah, which is great. Right. Because it's just, it was, a, it was a thing where it was like, it just gives you a little more, a bit more horsepower. Yeah, and I then, use them. But the, all these ones are good too. This is a love pedal, which is great too. I, 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 I will use these a lot. It's between this and the Klon. <laughs> That's pretty good. It's not to me. It's not quite yeah. as. A little different. I'm glad the guitar shops are closed right now. I'd be buying one of those Klons right now. Oh, the Klons, <laughs> great. Yeah, the, the the love pedal's good too. They make a couple of them. I, I used to use that all the time, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm, that's my thing. I always liked having um, overdrives, you know. But yeah, so I'm excited about this. Great, oh, it's cool. It's got a nice, it's not too, you know, it's not too... Um, Seems like it's half Malcolm and half Angus. It is, yeah, it's a Mangus. It's a Mangus. It's there a you Mangus. <laughs> and then we're going to do a Billis one, so... But I've enjoyed it, and, and they're great to work with, the people at Gretsch, and... That's good. You know, I, li I like them. They're, they're a really good, uh, fun company. So they've been great with the signature White Falcon, so I, I like it. Fantastic. Uh, so just quick answers. Yeah. What, what do you use the George Lynch tripler for i have one of those the amp switcher well it was just a simple way of having a three-way splitter 
like sometimes you turn off the Friedman and just never anymore. It's just a simple way of having it done. It originally was. Oh, that. so you just you leave it on and it spreads yeah. out to all the three amps. Yeah, and yeah. It, it as you know, it, you can dial in the output, and it was just a very easily obtainable. Yeah, yeah I like that. Yeah, it, it wasn't uh, particularly. Um, it's just that they were they were fairly cheap, easy to get, and yeah. they do the job. Strings. Uh, oh, I've always used um, Ernie Ball. And you you guys are down a half step. Now. Yeah, yeah, we we so we, we went you, down a half step. Like ten to forty six, or I was do, I was being heroic and doing elevens to fifty yeah. twos for a while. I was doing power slinkies, but to be honest, now I've gone back to the tens. I'm back yeah. to ten to forty six. I think which is regular. Is that a regular yeah. slinky? That's right. Yeah. Regular slinkies. Is that guitar a 20, like a Les Paul scale? Or? Oh, I don't know. Ask somebody who's like... Yeah. <laughs> knows. I'll look it up. I was curious. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, I think it's a 6228. Yeah. And is then, the, of course, the Air Duffy Wah. Yeah, I've got my own little, you know, got the, my own little... The interesting yeah. thing about this Wah, we, we, we only made 500, sold them all. There's two Wahs in one pedal, which killed Dunlop. So the, the red is more of a... It's more of like a classic, um, you know. Uh. And then uh, there's a kind of a different slight voice. I always like that. That's that's oh, yeah. a I, yeah. So, that's great to have. So it's two. The, the the other one's just more of a '70s style. Yeah. The 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 other sound, less um a l- l- less amped up. Dunlops are funny. They, Jimmy's great to work with. Yeah, you know. he's right. Yeah, he's he's trippy. So I enjoy that. You know, the pedal's good. Works works for me. You know, I always used to try. Back when we did the Love album, I was always that song was like the the that was the intro to the Phoenix or whatever. But and I was yeah. always like, wouldn't it be great if you like overdrove a Gretsch and then put it through a wah wah and then put loads of delays on it? What would that yeah. sound like? <laughs> and so that was kind of my attempt to you know as a kid to like. Well, it's cool that one delay seems to duck. So when you're really playing, it doesn't get in the way. But then when you let go of the notes, it jumps up. That's the key, and that's yeah. what I tried to get with the the, the delays is that thing yeah. um you don't want it too affecty you know if it's too yeah. too much of it it'll ruin your whole thing you know it just it's all give the illusion yeah. of size and width right you know it's really kind of like making yeah. a big din you know so which that's it. not, there's no other fancy stuff i, I used to have a flanger and a, a phaser and i've over the years i've just kind of got rid of them well you got the one thing is Really important is a great vibrato, man. I just love the way you bend those well, notes. Well, thanks, so. <laughs> thanks. I, you know. Yeah, thanks. I, you know, I try. I'm trying. You know. Yeah, that really sounds great, even on that guitar too. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah the, the, it's a great guitar. Yeah, it feels. Yeah, it does feel like a bit of a long scale neck. This actually, but yeah, I'm kind of sold. Yeah, they, it's good. They, you know, they. they I, I, I don't normally do stuff. Yeah. You know, I don't just don't need a free guitar. You know what I mean? I'm not. Right. So it's like if I, if it really is something I can use, and I do yeah. think it's a good halfway point between a Les Paul and a, like a Falcon. So like if a guy can't really, you know, mine, I'm gonna put, yeah. a, I'm gonna try a Bigsby on it, and you know, yeah. 
for that kind of heavier, if you're looking for like a heavier Gretsch sound, but you still want a bit of that Gretsch character and you don't yeah. want it to squeal. And it's neck through body, it's got a nice big Very, solid bit of wood. So they've tried really hard with it. So What so model did you say it was like? Which Gretsch model? It's, a, I think it's, is it a rock jet? Rock. This is a professional. Oh, cool. And it's, uh, yeah. and, but I think, is it like a duo jet? Yeah, it's a jet. It's, a, it's from the Jet family. Yeah, so it's a Jet. It's, play, it's a Players Edition Jet. Yeah. Which which uh, Friedman head do you prefer? The one I got. <laughs> I much prefer that one. I got, I think it's a brown eye. Yeah. He lent he lent me one um, for yeah because it's quite across the road from where yeah. we were were rehearsing. He lent me one for the um, we were doing the electric. Electric 13, we're doing the Electric album. And it's basically all just a Marshall. So I just plugged it in. And I've got some pretty cool Marshalls that I got back in the day, these 800s yeah. that are great. Um, and um, they're cool. And I've used them on all, all the tours and everything. But these Freedmans were just like, you know, they, they, they just sounded that had a bit more of an edge. There was a slight, mine were modified by Harry Colby in New York. They yeah. were bog standard 1980s Marshall, so they had that sizzle right. to them that you know when they started like putting a bit too much front end and not enough yeah. in the power department, they started like getting a little that sizzly what I call like the guitar center oh, yeah. sound. Right. So um, what uh, Colby just boosted the power thing and got it really chunky and that, but there's still a little. And he 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 make he put this little weird like overdrive thing in there that he puts inside his little silicon. This is like thirty yeah. years ago he was doing these mods. You know, it's like so. So I have a few of those left, um, but the Freedmans just sounded, you know, so good and just like everything you want in the best Marshall you could imagine. Yeah, you got you it know? going on there. Any speaker preference in these orange cabinets or? Uh, no, no, yeah, they, uh, yeah. I'm not. I'm not that yeah. fussy about the stock. Yeah. You know, I don't really obsess. I'm not I'm not that much yeah. of a gearhead guy. What about the AC30? Any particular model you like? Or? Yeah, the Chinese-made ones. I had yeah, the, yeah. I had the hand-wired ones and it was too honest. Really? It was too chimey and too it was too kind of brittle and pretty and clean for for what I wanted because to me I just want it as an extension of one sound. It's not right. meant to sound like two amps. It's one you know yeah. things so in so I, yeah i found that they were they were better you know yeah. I, uh, for, for my use a little more a little warmer, muted a little yeah more. a little bit little more yeah. just a little to me a little more rock rockier yeah. and a little less 60s twangy sounding you right know on. that for me you know i mean i'm sure you can <laughs> find older ones that work really well but you know also the other thing that's important mm. It, it for me is with the way the cult works you know f flying off to do a gig somewhere with rented gear in bulgaria i best yeah. be not too picky about what yeah. i need and i need to have good things i can bring with me to assure right. us that when we get some rented gear you know within reason we can get some sorts of similar sounds yeah. you know I, I and so so, so far we've been really lucky yeah. But I don't use too much complex stuff, you know. Obviously, when it's my own tour, this is what I'll take. But we have fly dates. You're just kind of rolling the dice with what gear you get, you know. Totally, man. I feel you. I'm, you yeah, know. I'm sure you've been there. It's just not feasible. It's not financially feasible anymore to fly your gear around 
like know, he used to imagine. be you know so a lot of bands we all do i haven't quite you know gone for a for a camper yet i still like i wouldn't do that but i still like you know using yeah. all my own yeah, stuff man. you know uh, and that's about it man i mean you know the, the the gretsch is a big part of the sound i mean you just strap a gretsch white falcon on and it's you yeah. know it's a man's guitar you've got to battle it you know it's not it's not an easy guitar to right. play it's really not an easy guitar to be ripping leads on unless like you're doing yeah. rockabilly stuff you know you're like but but why do you go through that battle just for the just for the tone and the end result and and yeah. also because people love to see it i think the guitar yeah. gets a bigger round of applause than i do <laughs> you know people just want to see it and you know it's historical you know it's got a good you know it's just it, it just feels good to do it. it there won't be as much of it on this tour as previous tours just because of the nature of the songs we're playing but you know it's, it's always around right on you well, know cool man i think you've been very generous with your time i should probably let you go but uh, yeah it's been a long day today's been a long day one for us all so yeah hopefully i got enough stuff you know and uh, hey man you guys are out yeah Thank you very much, Billy. You're welcome. Yeah. You're most welcome. And we'll see you guys at the Greek. Yes. It's going to be fun. Get this man to the Greek, Mitch. And we'll be there. You don't oh, have yeah. any starship. And gosh, thank you, Mitch. I would so love to go to that show. Of all the shows this year at the Greek, man, I really want to hit that one. But... It turns out, yes, I am on the road. I should have known. Yeah, we're playing pretty much every weekend with Jefferson Starship. I'm very thankful for that. Good problem to have, but miss a lot of events on the weekends. But you got to catch that show if you can. The Cult, June 15th, the Greek Theater, LA. They still have a few shows left on their American tour doing the Sonic Temple. Just going to be epic. If you saw the show, let me know how it was. Or you can tweet about it. I'm at Jude underscore gold on Twitter or Instagram. But, you know, speaking of that Facebook page, one listener wrote in, his name is Dylan Sinclair, and he wanted to know, he said it had been bugging him for years that he thought maybe Love Removal Machine was record was played and recorded in open tuning. And I know what he's talking about. It really does have that kind of Keith Richards-y one-finger bar chord kind of sound. Now, his question came in after I had already interviewed Billy, but I was able to text Matt McKenna, Billy's guitar tech, who you heard from on this show. And he says, as a matter of fact, he had just been talking to Billy about that, and it is definitely not recorded on the original recording in open tuning. He says, although the main riff definitely has some Keith Richards DNA in it, he said that record was interesting. All the gear was rented from SIR, as you might know if you're a cultophile, because they flew out to New York City to do one song with Rick Rubin and then decided to do the whole record dry and kind of sparse like ACDC style. And they ended up using all rented gear, drum kit, SVT bass amp, P basses, a few Marshalls, and a few Les Pauls, including a Les Paul Deluxe. Matt says he's certain that a majority of the sound of the guitar on that record is the Les Paul Deluxe through a clean and dirty Marshall blended together at the console with a good amount of THD from a Neve 33609 or a Universal Audio URE. How do you say it? URE? Anyway, a UA1176 at Mixdown. I guess he's talking compression and sweetener. Matt, your new nickname is Deets. For details, thank you, brother. And thank all of you for listening to No Guitar Is Safe. And thank you guys for your faithful listenership. 
The podcast is growing. Keep telling your friends and keep it alive to your 95. No, the time is safe.